I have a question for you. Willing to go after more? Are you willing to not just follow Jesus, but to serve Him? Are, are you willing to be somebody who's after more than just what Jesus would give you? That's the question of the day. And, and what we're going to see this morning is Jesus pursuing men whose hearts are after more. They're after more than just coming to see who he is. They're after more than just following him and saying, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I believe. Yeah, he's the Messiah. But, but they want more. And we're going to see that this morning. Well, if you're new with us, we've been studying the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. His life on this earth, he lived on this earth for about 34 years. And the last approximately four years of that time he spent in ministry. And all that we read about him in the Gospels and in the Bible, there's very little about those first 30 years. But the bulk of it is actually about the last year and a half or so of his life. And up to this point, as we've been studying, we're about a year and a half into his life. And up to this point, he spent a lot of time with a handful of people that he had called first to come and see who he was. Do you remember that? They're, they're along and, and John the Baptist is baptizing and Jesus comes along and John looks up and he points out and he goes, behold, the Lamb of God. And what happens? A couple of John's disciples decide to, to follow this guy. And one of the things they say to him, they come to Jesus, they say, where are you staying tonight? And what's he say? He says, well, why don't you, why don't you come and see? We talked about this, that the first call Jesus makes on our life, the first call as believers then that we ought to make on the lives of those who haven't met Jesus yet is why don't you come and see who he is? Why don't you come check him out? Why don't you come see if he's for real? Just come and see. And some of you, maybe today you've come to see. Well, the next call then that Jesus makes is not just to come and see, but to actually, now that you've seen, do you believe? Well, then, then follow me. Follow me. Enough sitting in the stands, follow me and become like me. Well, he spends the first 18 to 24 months of his life, of, or not of his life, but of his ministry, pursuing these types of relationships with people who, are, who would come and see and then who would follow him and would see him do ministry. And we, we've seen some of these things, right? Like he took, he took some of his friends with him to a wedding in Cana where he turned these big, huge jars of water into wine. And he took them with him to worship in Jerusalem where he overturned the tables and you saw Jesus' passion for worshiping the Father. And then you saw him go and do ministry to a Samaritan woman, to an, to an untouchable, to somebody that, that in reality, in our culture, you just think of who would, who would you least like to go and care for? That's who Jesus shows up and cares for with these guys in tow. And he spends this time with them. And now we're at this point where actually beginning last Sunday, you saw he extended his call from simply follow me to, hey, follow me and fish for men. Why don't, you, why don't you step it up a notch and not just follow me, but follow me and serve. And you remember what we looked at last week if you were here? We looked at Jesus in Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 16. And he, he calls, he finds Simon and Andrew along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And they're casting nets. And uh, he calls them and 
He says, hey, follow me. And my guess is they hadn't seen him for a while. It says they drop everything and follow him. Why would they do that? Well, because they'd already spent a year and a half of their life with him, seeing who he was. And so now they're going to follow him. He says, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. They go a little farther down the sea, and he finds James and John, the sons of Zebedee, two more brothers. Simon and Andrew are brothers as well. And and he calls them, hey, follow me and fish for men. And so they drop their nets and they follow him. And they go and they have the next day on the Sabbath, they have an intense day of ministry where Jesus casts out a demon. And then they go to Peter's house and his mother-in-law is laying sick on the couch and Jesus heals her. And then the whole town shows up at the door, knock, knock, knock. Hey, Jesus, what are you going to do for me? And he starts healing everybody and casting out demons and Where we ended last week, we didn't touch on this a lot, but in verse 39 of chapter 1 in Mark, it says, After this, they went all throughout Galilee, preaching the word, and Jesus was healing people, and he was casting out demons, and they started following him and learning how to fish for men. Now this morning, we're in Luke chapter 5, and some would argue that the passage we're going to look at this morning is just a different account from a different angle of the same thing we studied last week, but... I believe this is actually a different account, and I'll explain some of that why as we go. But I think what happens is these guys follow Jesus for a while all throughout Galilee, and they're, they're doing ministry with him, and I don't know how long they spent traveling around, but have you ever known anybody who gets really fired up, and they serve, and they're doing stuff, and then it's like they just kind of fizzle and disappear for a while? I kind of wonder if these four guys fell into that trap because where we find them today is not serving alongside Jesus, but back at their day-to-day job. They had followed him in ministry for a while, but now they're back fishing. What happened in this time? I don't know. But what it tells me is that there needs to be this consistent call on our lives to continually turn back to Jesus and follow him. And That tells me, too, if Jesus had to call these guys a couple times to follow, that means in ministry when we call people to follow him or we call people to serve, it's not just a one-time thing. Got it done. It's over. No, Jesus had to call multiple times. So do we. Well, at this point in life, they're back to their day-to-day job. And that's where we pick it up. See, it says chapter 5 of Luke is where we're at. If you've got a Bible, you've got an app on your phone, tablet, whatever you've got, go ahead and open up there. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to open up to Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1, and the second time that Jesus calls these men to follow him and fish for men. Let me pray. Father, thank you again for Jesus and uh, his work on the cross for me, that that he would forgive me of my sin, that he would take uh, the filth of my sin and endure it on the cross and take the wrath that I deserve and bear it himself so that I could receive his righteousness, so that I could receive his life, so that I could be hidden in him and be with you forever. Um, Father, I pray this morning that as we study your word, uh, Holy Spirit, I pray you'd fill me. I pray that you would speak to me and through me as I teach. Uh, I pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects. We've seen him to be a liar who takes your word and accuses us and tempts us and twists it. Uh, but instead, teach us truth. Bar him from, uh, from this place this morning. And uh, I pray that in Jesus' name. And then instead, Holy Spirit, you'd work in a powerful way to, to move in the hearts of men and women here and in my own. That we might uh, drop everything to follow and serve Jesus. Look forward to a good morning. Pray all this through my Savior Jesus. Amen. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. 
Well, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. We know up to this point, Jesus has turned water into wine. He's healed the nobleman's son. He's cast out demons. He's healed Peter's mother-in-law. He's gone throughout all of Galilee. Galilee is just this area named after the lake in the middle called Galilee. The Lake of Galilee, Sea of Galilee, just like we were in Wawasee, named after the lake that's in the middle. And he goes throughout this whole region, teaching and preaching and healing and casting out demons. And, and people are, are starting to follow him. And in fact, we see here they're pressing in on him. They're pressing in on him. The crowd is pressing in on him to hear. Why were they pressed? To hear the word of God. That's a good problem, isn't it? And you got people showing up, pounding down the door because you're preaching the word of God. That's a great thing. And by God's grace, that would be the testimony of our church. Well, he's standing by the lake of Gennesaret. What's that? You heard of that? Let me show you a map. It's actually just another name for the Sea of Galilee. Look at this map. We'll see if it works this week. Nope. All right. Pretend. We just have trouble with maps lately, don't we? They don't want to work. Pretend you got the lake right here. I'm going to draw for you in the air. You got it? You got the lake. And the Lake of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, is about three times the size of Lake Wawasee. So if you're familiar with that, you can get a grasp on how big it is. It's, it's called a sea in Matthew and Mark and in John, but Luke always refers to it as the lake. And so on this lake... At the north end of it is a city on the very top called Capernaum. And just down, I'm working backwards here, i got to think backwards, to the, to the northwest, on the northwest corner is a little town called Gennesaret. And so when he refers to it as Lake Gennesaret, it probably means they're in this area near Gennesaret, but he's referring to this whole lake. Now this lake, the Sea of Galilee, was about 650 to 700 feet below sea level. Well, it still is. And all surrounding it are hills and and cliffs and bluffs that, that kind of look down over it and into it. And so while they're pressing in on Jesus, they're pressing him further and further down to the water and nowhere else to go. And everybody's kind of coming in on him. And well, let's see what he does. Verse 2, he sees two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them, and they were washing their nets. Well, the fishermen, when they would have fished at that time, the, the, the best time for them to fish was in the evening or at night, when the fish would have been coming up closer to the surface to feed. And during the day, when the sun's beating down, they would have uh, sought to go deeper into cooler water. But, but at night, they would have come to the surface and been more accessible. And so that's when these guys would have done the, the majority of their fishing. And after they get done, they're caring for their tools. They're, they're repairing things. They're repairing their nets. They're washing things. They're, they're, they finish their trade for the day, and they're cleaning up, just like all of you wish your kids would do, right? I mean, they're cleaning up after everything they had just done, and they're washing their nets, So Jesus, he gets into one of the boats. Which boat was it? It was was Simon's. Simon, Jesus, we saw earlier, Jesus calls him Peter. He he renames him from Simon to Peter. So when you read Simon, that's Peter. 
And he finds this boat, and we know that, that Jesus had already spent 18 to 24 months with Peter, and he had been with him earlier where he had called him, where he saw him fishing along the shore one day, and Peter dropped his nets and follows Jesus. And so Jesus knows him. It's not like he's stealing somebody's boat. He knows him. And he asked him, he asked Simon, he says, hey, why don't you put out a little bit from the land? Remember, everybody's coming down in on him. And hey, listen, let's get in your boat and let's, let's go out a little ways. This would have been a great spot then for him to teach, right? For him to address all these people because they're all up kind of crowding down around him. And so he pushes out into the water and there they are, like a natural amphitheater in a lot of ways. And while they were out there, he says, he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, what's Simon do for a living? Professional fisherman. This is his day-to-day, everyday job. This is what he's good at. This is what he's trained for. He says, hey, Simon, uh, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. The carpenter says to the fisherman, hey, you're not fishing right. (laughs) Right? Like the accountant comes to you, Greg, and says, you're not farming right. You're planting at the wrong time. You're using the wrong seed. Or or the, the eye doctor goes to whoever and tells them what they're doing wrong, but that's not their profession. And if somebody who didn't know anything about what you're an expert at came to you and said, hey, why don't you do it this way? Right, Marta? Somebody told you how you should do the taxes. And, and you'd be like, what do you... I know what I'm doing. Thanks, but no thanks, right? That, that would have been my response if I'm Peter. But we're going to see a different response from him. And in fact, from Peter, and I believe Andrew's here as well, even though he's not mentioned by name, but then also James and John, what I'd mentioned earlier, what you're going to see in these four men are guys who are not just interested in following Jesus, but they're after more. They're after serving and being trained to fish for men. And if you want to be available, in other words, to serve or to be in ministry, when I'm saying after, spell it without an E, and I've got an acronym here for you to remember. Some things for you, if you really want to serve in ministry, evaluate your life and figure out if you're after more, and then what things need to be adjusted in your life so that you can be. The first thing of these guys is that they were available. They're available. They're available. I mean, what's Peter doing? Well, Jesus is there. He comes down. I mean, Peter's doing his everyday job, right? But, but he's not too busy that he can't be interrupted by Jesus. He's available. He's got time to spend with Jesus. See, a lot of people want to serve in ministry. A lot of people want to get plugged in. They say, I'm after more. I want more. I want more. But But everything in their calendar says they're not available to serve. And everything in their calendar points to a higher priority than the church and than Jesus, ultimately. Yeah, I want to serve in ministry. I want to do this, but hold on. I got this thing going, too. So as soon as I get this thing done, I'll be back. And they get that thing done. They go, wait, wait, one more thing. I got to do this. And they have a great desire and a great heart, but they're not available. What's your calendar like? Do you want to serve? Do you really want to be after more? Well, are you doing things to make yourself available to serve? Or are you letting everything else in life crowd around to where you don't have the availability to be interrupted to do ministry? 
Peter had 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 just an incredibly long night, we're going to find out, fishing, and he had caught nothing. And I'm going to explain to you how they fished. He would have been tired, right? But, but he's there, and he's available. He lets Jesus in his boat. He puts out with him into the water, and he's available. Are you available to do ministry? Are you available? If not, what maybe needs to change in your schedule so that you're available? And when I say do ministry, you know where that starts, right? It starts uh, in your house with your spouse. Easy way to remember it. It rhymes if you're married, right? It starts at home. Are you available for your spouse? Are you available for your kids? And then are you available to show them what it means to serve in ministry in the church and to prioritize those things? How are you prioritizing your life to be available? Or are you just selfish with your time? Maybe it's an issue of selfishness. But in any case, in these guys, we see people who are available. They're after more in the first thing that, A, they're available. So when he had finished speaking, Jesus finishes teaching. He's in the boat with Simon. He says, let's put out into the deep and you can let down your nets for a catch. Well, the other thing about Peter and about Andrew and James and John is not only were they, were, were they available, but they were also, also, can't talk, they were also faithful. They're available and they're faithful. What do I mean by faithful? Well, they were reliable. They were loyal. When they said, I'm going to show up and do this, they showed up and did this. When, uh, when they would follow Jesus as their master and as their leader, were there times they were unfaithful? They were, right? Peter was later when he denies Jesus, actually. But in the end, they always repent. They're always faithful. And, and to those who are in authority over them, they're, they're loyal. They're faithful. They're responsible. They're, they've, been, they've proven themselves. In fact, Jesus says if you're faithful in little things, you'll be giving more things to be responsible for, right? So start out by being faithful in some of the small things. You really want to serve in ministry? You want to see God use you more? First make yourself available, but then start being faithful. Be faithful to his word and be faithful to the small things in your life that he's given you to do. And Peter was one of these guys. John was one of these guys. James was. Andrew was. You've got someone who's available and he's faithful so Jesus can trust him. See, sometimes in ministry, when as a pastor, you're looking out, you're looking for people who can serve, and you see somebody and you go, oh, they're totally available. they got all kinds of time. They're willing to use it to serve, but... They are flaky. Like, like, I don't know if I can trust them. I know I can trust them this month, but beyond that, the past would tell me they're not going to be around. They're going to jump. They're going to, they're, they might be at another church for all. I mean, they're, they're not faithful. I don't know that I can trust them. You need to be available. You need to be faithful. Well, Simon was both of these. Put out of the deep, let your nets down for a catch. Well, Simon answered him, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Remember, the carpenter's telling the professional fisherman, here's how you should fish. Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Do you know how they fish? In the first call in Matthew 1, Jesus is walking and he sees them alongside, out of their boats, alongside the sea, and they were fishing there, throwing their nets down, right? 
At that time, likely what it was would have been a circular net, like a draw net, that would have had lead weights around it and a string through it, and they would have cast it out on top of the water. The, the weights would have sunk the net down. They would have pulled the cord, cinched it up like a laundry bag, and they would have hauled the fish in in shallow water. But then you get into the commercial fishing, which is what they're doing here. Not that it wasn't all commercial, but like big-time fishing. They would have had a boat that was probably 26 to 27 feet long, about 7 to 8 feet wide. And they go out and with what's called a dragnet. And a dragnet could have been anywhere from 100 feet to 300 feet long. So anywhere from a third to a full length of a football field. And normally about 8 to 12 feet wide. And it had lead weights on one end, and sometimes they would leave it behind them, and they'd drag it, and then they'd pull the cord, and it'd cinch up everything that they had caught as they kind of troweled with the net behind them. And it went deeper into the water to get more fish. Other times what they would do is they'd have two boats, which is what I think they're probably doing, because there's two boats sitting here, right? They'd have two boats, and they'd, they'd get one end of the net on one boat and one on the other, and they'd lower it in, and this boat would kind of circle around until they just scooped up all the fish in the middle. They'd yank on the cord, they'd cinch it up, and then they'd haul it up into the boat. They had been doing this all night. And can you imagine a net that big? It had to have been heavy. It had to have been to to be able to maintain that kind of weight and that size. These guys weren't wimps. Leaning over the boat, pulling this net in. They didn't have a crane like on Deadliest Catch like to to scoop everything up, right? I mean, they're, they're pulling it by hand, getting it into the boat. And they had caught nothing. He's like, really, Jesus? Don't you know how tired I am? You want me to do one more thing? You gotta be kidding me. Like we've we've been at it all night. I'm exhausted. And Jesus is like, listen, go out a little deeper and throw your net down again. Peter doesn't say, get out of my boat, does he? What's he say? He says. He expresses himself. He says, we toiled all night. We took nothing. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. Because I know who you are. I've seen what you've done. I'll I'll let down the net, Jesus says, or Simon says. And what I see here in Simon is a guy who's faithful to Jesus, who's available, but he's also teachable. He's teachable. Are you after more? You need to be available. You need to be faithful, but you also need to be teachable. If you think you have it all figured out, if I think I've got it all figured out, let me point at me. Then you know what? That's evidence number one. I ain't got nothing figured out. Right? You've got to be teachable. Peter was teachable. Was he stubborn? Yeah. Was he kind of strong-willed? We see that in his personality coming out. Yeah, he was for sure when you read more about him and the ways that he responded to people and the ways he acted and did ministry. But at the end of the day, he's teachable. He's teachable. Think about it. The professional commercial fisherman listens to the guy who... He's seen him do some cool stuff, but he hasn't seen him fish, maybe. What does he know about fishing? He might know how to build a boat, but what about fishing? He listens to him and says, because of you, I'll throw out my net. And he defers to Jesus' authority and he lets himself be teachable. Are you teachable? There's a lot of people who are available. 
There's a lot of people who are available and faithful. And they're loyal. And, but boy, you know what? When it comes down to being teachable, I don't want to hear what you had to say. You know, Stephen, I'd love to, I have all kinds of time. I'd love to serve in student ministry. I like you. I like, I like what you're doing. I like what's going on. I'm, I'm available. I'm faithful. But that's how you're going to do it? Let me show you what I think. Here, let me show, here's what I think. You, what's Stephen going to do? Well, first, he's probably going to be kind to them, and then he's going to pray that they never show up at student ministry to help. Like, like you, you want someone who's teachable, who's going to follow. That's who Jesus is looking for in these guys, and he's, he's found some, hasn't he? Are you teachable? Are you willing to defer to some of the authorities in your life to be teachable, to recognize you don't maybe have it all figured out? Or maybe even if you have it figured out one way, there's another way that could be just as good, if not better, than the way I think. Are you teachable? Are you willing to learn more from God's word? Well, Peter's teachable and he goes out and he lets the nets down again for a catch. And the other thing you see in Peter here, just as an aside, is what we've talked about, biblical faith, right? He, he believes Jesus' word, he takes him at his word, and then he acts upon it. He goes out, throws his nets, no matter how he feels, because he's tired, he doesn't want to do it. But God keeps his promises, and he promises a good result when we obey. And look at the good result here. When they had done this, remember, they've been fishing all night. They enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. These big, heavy, strong nets. They just finished mending them and washing them. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat. That's why I say I think this was... They were kind of trolling and, and like circling around to the other boat to wrap them all up. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to, hey, there's a lot. There, you got to get over here. Like, we need some help. They signaled to the partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats. How full? 27, 28 inch, or inch foot boat. Seven, eight feet wide. To the brim, so that what's going on? It, so they began to sink. Okay, some of you guys are fishermen, and you've told some tales. Have you ever heard one like that? Like the fish was so big, the boat sank. You know, I mean, like, like they had so many fish, the boat's sinking. How would you respond to that? Have you ever you ever experienced God's grace in that way? Where you've, you've gone out on a limb, you've trusted him, you've believed his word, you've acted upon it. I, I don't know that I really feel like it, but I know that's what's right. And then you see his grace to you in a powerful way. You ever experienced that? How's it, how's it make you feel? I, I heard a quote this weekend, like, to, to, to truly experience love means to be completely and utterly humbled. And I think Peter was completely and utterly humbled. And in fact, look at his response. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. You know, we're singing this morning. We've waited for this day. We're gathered in your name, calling out to you. You know, come show us your glory. Show us, show us your glory. 
if God would show us his glory on your face, going, I'm sinful. I'm sinful. Peter got a glimpse at who Jesus really was. He got a glimpse of his glory. He got a glimpse of his power. He, he, he saw it personally. And in fact, this passage may bring another passage to mind for you of the experience of a man named Isaiah. Look at Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, starting in verse 1, says this. Did I have it out of order up there? If I did, I'm sorry, Rock. Thanks. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah writes, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. He's high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with the other two he flew. And one called to another... And said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Holy means separate, unlike anything else. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said... Woe is me, for I'm lost, for I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Peter would say, I saw Jesus. He was in the boat. He told me, cast my nets on the other side, cast them again, and I did And I saw him, and he was holy, and he was the king, and he was the ruler over all creation and over the depths of the sea. And he brought up the fish, and I saw him for who he was, and I said, Woe is me! Depart from me, I'm a sinful man. And when you see God for who he is, the response is terror and fear at his holiness. Why? Because he's holy. He's not just holy, he's holy, holy, holy. And I'm utterly sinful. And in my sin, I can't be tolerated in the presence of a God who's holy, holy, holy. And Peter saw it in an instant at that point that he was sinful and Jesus was God. And here's the truth, loved ones, is if, if I'm left in that state, in my sin, and I see God for who he is, I'm absolutely doomed. And if you see God for who he is and you're left in your sin, you're absolutely condemned. And you're absolutely under his wrath for sin because he's holy. But if you've trusted Jesus, it's different. 
See, Peter says, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. So also were James and John. The the professional fishermen are astonished at the catch. You know it's a big catch, right? And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. If you know Jesus, here's the truth theologically of what happens if you've trusted Jesus Christ is that It's a gift exchange where Jesus takes the filth of your life. He bears it on the cross. He endures the wrath of God. He takes the punch and he gives you instead his righteousness and his life and his purity. So that Paul talks about it, that now you're in Christ, you're veiled in Christ and you're no longer primarily a sinner, but now you're a saint who, yes, you sin and you mess up. But, but ultimately when God sees you, he sees you under the veil of what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross And that fear now turns to adoration of God's grace and his goodness and his kindness. And his kindness, Romans tells us, should lead us to this type of repentance where we turn to him again and again and again. See, that's what happened with Isaiah. Uh, Peter receives a comforting word from God. And Isaiah does as well. And what we see in Peter here now is not only a man who's available and faithful and teachable, but he's responsive to God. He's responsive to the authority in his life. See, you can be available. You can be faithful. You can be teachable. But if when God calls or someone calls and and God through them calls you to serve in ministry or to do this or to do that and you're not responsive, then you're not someone who's ready to serve. Being responsive to the authorities that God's put in your life. Kids, you have, you have parents, right? When, when, when they say jump, my dad would say, you say what? How high, right? Now, now not in an authoritative top-down, you're the boss, dad, Right? But they do that out of respect and love for you because you're a good dad and they want to serve you and they're responsive. Well, Peter here, he does this because he knows Jesus is good to him. He's shown kindness to him. That leads him to repentance and he's responsive. Isaiah as well is responsive. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, Isaiah writes, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and he said, behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. See, if you're in Jesus Christ and you see God for who he is, you see his glory, trust me, there will be fear, but at the same time, there'll be comfort from a God and from a father who loves you, who says your your sin's been taken away. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? He says, see the response to this type of grace to our lives isn't, yeah, this is a pretty good life. This is pretty great. No, the, no, the response is what Isaiah does. He says, here I am. Send me. Whatever it is, send me. I'll go. I'll do it. I'll charge. I'll, I'll drop everything and follow because of your grace to me. And he's responsive. Look at Peter's response. 
Jesus says to Peter, he says, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left what? Everything and followed him. They didn't say, hold on. I got to sell my boat and then I can follow. He didn't say, hold on. I got to find somebody to take over the business. Then I'll follow. The biggest catch of his lifetime. And he leaves it and he follows. Now I tend to believe that part of the reason Jesus provided this for him, this catch would have provided, some scholars believe, a couple years wages for Peter and his crew. So curiously, Peter says, I'll obey, I'll follow. I don't know what you're telling me to do going out into the deep and throwing down a net. I don't really want to do it. And he does it. He obeys and God gives him a good result. And God not only gives him a good result, but then he blesses him and enables him now, likely I believe, with the wealth where he can leave everything and just go follow. He may do that for you. He may not. I don't know. But, but are you willing to drop everything and follow? Are you willing to be responsive to the call on your life? Are you after more? Or are you content to sit and wait for Jesus to show up? He doesn't have good words for those who sit and wait for him to show up, as far as I can tell in Scripture. Let's be after more. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Take our offering. We'll sing together and call it a morning. Father, thank you for Jesus. And thank you for the example of men like Peter and Andrew and James and John, their willingness uh, to make themselves available for ministry. They still had lives. They still had families to care for. They still had so many responsibilities that we're not told about in the Bible, but it's clear that they, they would have had them. And they would have been faithful to those responsibilities. They, they didn't simply abandon everything like a crazy person to follow Jesus, but but he chose them because they had demonstrated that type of faithfulness and loyalty and courage to follow. And while they were men who maybe by the appearance of everyone else had it figured out, they were teachable. And they were willing to be taught by Jesus. And they were willing to be taught by him, even if it didn't make sense to them, they were willing to submit to his authority. And ultimately, when they saw him for who he was... They were responsive to the call that he put on their life. They were responsive. Help us to be after more, to be available to serve, to be faithful in our service and to you and to our families and our church, to be teachable, to be continual learners, and to be responsive to the call you put on our life. It takes courage and ultimately it takes your Holy Spirit working through us. So Spirit, I pray you do that even today. I pray for those also who've never responded to you in faith that as they hear my voice, they may resonate with, with Peter and Isaiah's fear as they see you for who you are. But that also they would see Jesus for who he is and, and trust him and understand that he's paid their debt and that they could be made clean and their sin washed away forever. If they'd simply repent, which means to turn to you and seek your forgiveness. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thanks that you love us through him. Now give us courage to serve. Pray all this through him. Amen.